Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the latest instalment of the Man of the Post Euro Podcasts. With me today, it's Colin here by the way, uh, with me today uh, we have Adam, Mark and Andy. Bonjour guys. Hi there. Bonjour. Boa tarde, from Brazil. From Brazil, that, that's commitment that is. That's, 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 <laughs> that's great stuff. I'm interrupting my siesta to do this, so it better be good. <laughs> Fantastic. And, and we may also have um, Ross shipping in occasionally. Um, he's Don't tell anybody. He's at work. But um, he's got us currently on mute, and he might ship in when he gets a little bit of free time. So uh, Getting paid to podcast. There we go. Here he is. <laughs> don't tell his bosses, all right? The professional podcaster. Okay, so... Without further ado, guys, let's go straight into the, the matches. And uh, first of all, it's Wales versus Belgium. So, Wales victorious with a, an amazing 3-1 win against Belgium. What are your thoughts? Belgium's manager's completely incompetent. <laughs> Mark Wilmot. That's the one. Um, but he's probably available for the England job now, so... Hmm. Aren't they all? <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd have thought England might be better off with Gary Wilmot, to be honest with you, that's... <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I ended up, I caught most of this game. I thought Wales were fully deserving of the, the win, to be honest with you. Uh, Chris Coleman's done a hell of a job in this tournament. Um and the, the, I thought they put, they played exceptionally well. I, I don't think Belgium were, were what I would call dreadful, but they, they definitely seemed to... Uh, they were without Vertonghen, I think, weren't they? Um, seemed to make a huge difference defensively. Um, Wales had joy down that right wing all night. And, um, yeah, they, they fully deserved to be in the semi-finals. Was it a case of Belgium bad, Wales good or you know I mean did Belgium have a sort of England moment I don't want to take any, anything away from Wales but I think that there was a brief period in that game where they were very lucky when um, that that first 10 minutes or so they were getting absolutely battered by Belgium Belgium started very quickly and I can't remember everyone who was involved but there was a period where there was sort of three chances in a row that were cleared almost off the line. I think if that goes in coupled with the goal and they're 2-0 down, whether it's a completely different story, but they they were very valiant in their fight back. They have to... And they don't they don't ever seem to give up. Um, and maybe add on to that as well. Uh, Nangalan, who, who got the first goal, maybe he had a possible penalty shout as well, which could have maybe turned the game. 
Yeah, I think, I think they had more than one penalty shout, actually. I, mean, I, I seem to recall there being another one uh, second half. Mm. Yeah, Adam's right. Um, the first ten minutes of the game, Belgium were all over them. Very similar story in the second half as well, where Belgium came flying out the blocks and Robson Canu's goal was, was very much against the run of play. Do you think, guys, perhaps, is it is it a case of perhaps Belgium are being... Obviously, Belgium have got the better players on, on paper. Individuals versus a team. And, and do you think that's what Wales' strength is? I think, for personally, I, I think Belgium would be very courteous to take up Holland's role at this tournament with their not being here because it seems to me like... Um, the Belgium are very much like the Dutch team of, of old, where they've got tons of excellent individuals, but for some reason the team never really clicks. Uh, you know, they were supposed dark horses for the World Cup a couple of years ago, and they didn't really turn up. And I, I've hardly been impressed with them in this game at, at uh, the Euros. Um, and you were saying about penalty shouts they could have had against Wales. I didn't see the game, but they were very lucky not to have penalties given against them in the Ireland game in the group stages. Uh, so I, Belgium are kind of a, a little bit like an international Galacticos, and maybe that's the, op- the exact opposite of what Wales are, where they've got the one world-class player and a bunch of decent players, and that actually produces a better team than having uh, all these players who play in top clubs in the Premier League or in Spain or wherever. What I would say for Wales as well, you say you say one top-class player as well, I thought another guy who's been great in this whole tournament is Aaron Ramsey, and I think he's really shone in this tournament. And I yeah. think mm-hmm. he, he's going to get a lot of kudos coming out of this. Um, and it's just a shame, really, that he's he's got his uh, yellow card. That means he's not going to be able to play in the last game, next next game. So that's going to be a major loss to him, I think. Yeah, Joe Allen's uh, another player who's had a really good tournament. Um, perhaps more surprisingly than Aaron Ramsey. Aaron Ramsey didn't have a great season for Arsenal, but we knew what he did the season before, or uh, where his capabilities. Joe Allen's obviously had a a down couple of years since he moved from Swansea I never really worked out for him at Liverpool but um, yeah, he's, he and Ramsey have arguably to me been more important in this tournament than Gareth Bale Well that's it, apart from perhaps the goal in the um, in the last 16 game, Gareth Bale sort of from open play hasn't really done an awful I know he didn't score that goal against Northern Ireland but he was. He put that cross. That that cross was indefensible. But beyond that, from open play, Gareth Bale hasn't really set this tournament alight. Is it a, is it a case of that what he does takes the attention of two or three opposition players, allowing therefore? Like oh, exactly, exact, exactly. Has exactly. Has it been a case of that? Because I think I've only seen the England Wales game of Wales's games. So has it been more like? the attention has been drawn to Bale like it would be to Ronaldo or Messi in, in a lot of games and, and that's allowed a lot more space for the others to shine? Oh, I, comple- I completely agree and I don't, um, I wasn't saying that as something to the, um, as a knock against Gareth Bale because I think that we can talk about how it, whether you have a, a team of good players or a team with one fantastic player. I think it, it very much that dynamic depends on that fantastic player as well because um for Wales at least, Bale seems to play without ego. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you see it in the celebrations after every goal and every game. Um, it's, he's almost the anti-Ronaldo 
Uh, Ronaldo's very clearly in this for himself. If the team benefits, you know, that's a bonus. Whereas Gareth Bale has been willing to make those sacrifices, is uh, dropping exceptionally deep uh, on occasions, either to help uh, clear things up or, you know, start facilitating moves further forward. Um, very different role to what he plays at, at Real Madrid. So, yeah, there, um, it, he's been... He's been good without being outstanding, but Wales haven't needed him to be outstanding. They actually, it's actually more beneficial for them if he's just good, because that means he's fitting in with the team better. What I would say, guys, this is a question to everybody, really. Are Wales good, or have they just got lucky? And at the end of the day, they're in the last four. Can they go all the way? Is it is it a possibility? I mean, absolutely. I mean, who have they, who have they got in the semi-finals? Is it Portugal? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah, I on mean, Wednesday. Port Portugal haven't set the Euros on fire. Um, Ronaldo's cut a exceptionally frustrated figure through most of the tournament. Um, Renato Sanchez is starting to come onto a game. Nani's been decent, but outside of that, you struggle to see where Portugal are going to create anything. So uh, Wales won't have any fear going into that game. Um, and I, I think there's a very real chance they they qualify for the final. And to, to answer the first part of your question, I think Wales are good. Um, they are a good team. Again, I'd, one thing I've noticed throughout this tournament, and it's it's a thought I've been having is that this almost seems like the year that Moneyball has come to football. Okay. Um, it's much less, it seems much like you look at Leicester winning the league, you look at some of the teams that have gone pretty far in the Euros. Uh -huh. um, none of them are playing what you would call exceptionally defensively, but they're all extremely organised and they're playing percentage football and it's it's working out for most of them. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, Wales are fully deserving of where they are at the moment. Any other thoughts or are we all in agreement with that? I'd, yeah, I'd back that up. I think they've shown no fear, except maybe a little, uh, perhaps the second half of the England game where they backed off a bit. Um, and that's probably the only thing that is going to, to, to my mind, and what I've seen of Portugal, it, it's only fear of what they could accomplish is going to stop them um, in that game. If, if they did get through to the final and they end up playing France or Germany, that that's an entirely different uh, an, an entirely different thing because they're playing reputations, they're, play, they're playing... History. They're playing a lot of other things as well as good players, and again, at, at that point, it's only themselves that, that can defeat them. Because I, I've not been impressed particularly by Germany, even though they're world champions. I've, the the Italy game, which I'm sure we're going to talk about, I, I didn't think they were great in that. Um, and the French have played sporadically well, but again, um, there's there's nothing to say that Wales can't win this. Again, with with what we've said, you know, they've got one world class player who could shine on his day or just deflect attention away for others to to thrive. Well, I think we're going to talk about the, the how how it's gone so far in 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 general at, at the end of this podcast. But you know, just what you're saying, Mark, and and just what we've all been saying, you know, t to be even considering Wales as a potential winner is something we would never have said at the start of the tournament. But that's just how well it depends how you see it crazy or brilliant a tournament this is um, but without further ado let's move on then 
because uh, it wasn't the only game we have to cover. Uh, there was a, a certain game between Germany and Italy. Uh, well, mm, this was interesting. Uh, 1-1 in full time. And it went to penalties. Uh, Germany have a, a pretty poor record against uh, Italy. Um, I thought you were about to say they had a pretty poor record at penalties then. Oh no. Oh no, <laughs> not that. Not that. Um, but yeah, great game. Uh, I always love a game that goes to penalties, I have to admit, even though it's a little bit vicious. But uh, yeah, what are your thoughts, guys, on, on on this game and how it panned out? I thought that um, Germany showed Italy the utmost of respect by changing a system that's worked for them all tournament um, and matching them up and playing with a back three. Yeah, so they they went with Hamels, Boateng and... Who was the, who was the third? I can't ever pronounce his name properly. How do I... How do I... How it is, yeah. Um... Yeah, that's that's not hugely surprising. I, you know, I think Italy, in many ways, have been the most impressive team at the tournament up till now. Because, you know, you, you speak to anybody who's been watching the Italian team over the last couple of years, there are people saying this is the worst Italian team in fifty years. I wouldn't ever have gone that far. I've seen worse in my time, and you know, I'm approaching forty years on this planet. So, um, but at the same time. Um, yeah, I, I was a little surprised just for the fact that Germany always seemed to be a team who make the opposition play to them. Um, but yeah, I, th- I thought Germany maybe just about deserved to go through based on the balance of play, but I think Italy can be, be pretty proud of their efforts. Well, perhaps surprisingly, you know, Germany's goal came from Mesut Ozil. Um, hmm. Not really known for his Massive scoring record for Germany, but um, and then Italy obviously equalised through the penalty by Bonucci. Um, yeah, it was. It was. Do, do you think it was a poor game, or do you think it was a good game um, in the ninety minutes? I would say it was more open than I expected. I'll, I mean, I'll have seen a lot more uh, rigid and boring Germany versus Italy games in the past than that was, and as the game went on, I felt that. Italy were the more likely winners. They seemed more dangerous on the counter-attack and they were the ones, in my view, that were creating more. Um, Germany just seemed a bit... Uh, yeah, maybe it was the change of formation and a, and a few players in and out. And when Go, I think when Gomez went off, they, they started to lose their way a little bit. Yeah, and he's he's now out for the tournament, which uh, mm-hmm. before the tournament started, I don't think anybody would have considered a huge blow. But as after... Gutz's pretty poor performance in that first game. Gomez has, has done pretty well since he came in. What I would say from a personal point of view is, what a gentleman Buffon is. You know, you know, he 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 always seems to be, you know, he's, he's in these pressure cooker situations all the time. He's he's had a massive career, and I've seen him in this tournament. You know, hug uh, Martin O'Neill and and Roy Keane. You know, after they beat Italy in the Republic of Ireland, that is, um, and similarly after this match, you know, giving people hugs, um, and he just, you know, he's like, okay, it's a game of football at the end of the day, and I, I just think that stands out as a really great guy, and yeah, I don't, I don't know what anybody else thinks, but that that stood out for me. 
On top of that, he's one of the best keepers ever to play the game. Agreed. I'd, I'd, I would make the argument he is the best goalkeeper uh, ever. Yeah, me and Chris game. talked about this on last week's podcast. We we kind of came to that agreement as well, to be honest. For, for, I can't think of many keepers, certainly not in the modern era, who've, who've been capable of playing at that level for that length of time. Um, obviously, the longer his career goes on, Neuer's got a shot at that title, but I'd, in terms of consistency over such a long period of time uh, it's both on all the way for me because I mean he's what he's about he's 38 now isn't he yeah Mm -hmm. pretty good going okay Uh, it it would feel remiss if we didn't talk about uh, Zaza's run up (laughs) yeah well I was going to say let's let's talk about the penalties yeah Um, yeah go for it you have that run up you have to score you can't be that arrogant in your run-up and then blast it over the bar. Isn't there something very German, though, about winning their worst ever penalty shootout? I'd, yeah, I I'd, I'd mentioned this on Twitter yesterday. I don't know if it's just me, but it seems like people are uh, players are much worse at penalties nowadays than they <laughs> used to be. And I don't know if it's a case that players are, are over <laughs> penalties too much nowadays, but I'd, I remember... Years ago, you would barely see a penalty saved. Now you're seeing them saved, hit the bar, going wide. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'm the only one who's, who's spotted that trend. I think, I think with the with the advent of the internet and all this, and, and goalkeepers researching into people's run-ups and where they've been hitting their last ten penalties that uh, penalties before the one they're facing, I think that probably cons- contributes to it. But how many different run-up styles did we see yesterday, where they were fannying around or um, you know, Zaza, you know, doing some sort of Tootsie Tribe dance before he ran up to the ball, or you know, doing the the stutter and then giving the goalkeeper a chance to to pick the way you're going to go. Yeah. Maybe, there's a lot, there's a big proliferation of all these different run-ups instead of four or five paces, run and blast it in one of the corners, which is what people used to do donkeys years ago. I think that contributes towards it too. So, are you saying this is all Ben Foster's fault, Mark? Um, I, I would put most things at his feet, yeah. Or I would <laughs> put them on his hands. <laughs> I, I think that I, I, I completely agree with you. I think that um, sort of the game theory of penalties has become a lot bigger now because because everyone goalkeepers are aware of where where a penalty taker goes and, and vice versa. I hadn't even contemplated it until they talked about it in the um, the game last night, but. Penalty takers are looking up which way keepers dive as if they are trying to read a, a penalty taker. So it's sort of the game theory of it just gets exponentially bigger and bigger and you get perhaps you can get more and more confused and it's the the, the people who are um, more mentally strong in that situation who are the ones who um, who are able to profit from it. Yeah, think about the pressure on the players these days and how much money it means and how, how many millions of people are watching it on the telly and they've got social media. You know, the, the, the pressure inside the players as they're taking the penalties these days. OK, the pressure would have been big 30 years ago or 40 years ago, but it couldn't have been anywhere near as, as big as it is now on a player. And, you know, maybe it's it's that as well, that the, the, the worst players or the, the least mentally tough players just can't cope with that. I saw lots of people saying that's like watching England play England at penalties. 
<laughs> no, because Neuer saved too many. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just um, yeah, it is the worst one of the worst penalty shootouts I think I've ever seen. Uh, it just goes to show that the, the pressure can get to the best of them. Okay, well, well, let's move on, guys. We've uh, we've obviously got France Iceland to to look forward to, and and that's that's playing at the moment as we're recording. Um, but Mark and Andy, uh, this is the first time you've been on one of the Euro podcasts. Um, Adam, Ross, myself have, have been on previous ones. So just, I just wanted to get a, a thought from you really on, on what you think of the tournament in general, how it's been, the tournament itself, um, who's done well, who's done bad and, and the reasons for that and any surprises and, and just generally your, your, your thoughts on, on how it's gone. What, what, what do you think? Um, I would say, for one reason or another, I've, I've probably only caught about fifty percent of the games that have that have been so far, and I would say that the tournament has been reassuringly average. You know, like it, like they were in the good old days. I think one or two tournaments, especially for example the World Cup in Brazil, um, we were spoilt with good games and entertaining football and all the rest of it. Tournaments aren't meant to be like that. They're meant to be cagey, boring. You know, not very many goals. That's the kind of template that I grew up with. So. I think this Euros has certainly fitted in with that, with the odd exception. You know, you've had Wales overperforming um, a little bit, and you've certainly had Iceland uh, as the fairy tale story of the whole thing, which you get in every tournament. You get you get that kind of thing, but I think it's gradually cranking up. And again, that's how a tournament should be. It should start off cagey and then build up to better games and the, the big nations, the good teams. They will get better and peak when it comes to the semi final and the final. I think it's very much following that template at the minute. I think a lot of a lot of the bigger teams have played within themselves and, and they're saving themselves for the bigger game. And then obviously England went and did the exact opposite, but never peaked in the first place. Andy, any thoughts on how it's uh, gone so far? Yeah, I mean, it's no Euro 2008, a.k.a. the best European Championships ever to take place but at the same time I've, I've quite enjoyed the tournament um, with the exception of two, three games I don't think you could look at any of the games and say they've been truly awful um, the fact that some of the smaller teams have, have done well has, has made it more intriguing uh, this does feel like an increasing trend in football towards team rather than an individual, you know you, you look at this tournament, you know there's not a Diego Maradona in 86 there's not a Ronaldo in 2002 um, it is very much the team ethos over everything else um, it's been quite interesting to watch some of the bigger names in the tournament and how they've got on Ronaldo has been petulant, has been uh, frustrating to watch and yet at the same time as you saw against Hungary is still capable above pretty much anybody else in the tournament of producing the kind of moments when they absolutely have to and it's why you know I, I wouldn't necessarily rule Portugal out of, of reaching the final um, and, and it's been good to see the home nations do okay uh, I wouldn't go as far as to say any of them have been brilliant obviously you guys have got your opinions on England I'll keep them to myself because I'm very clearly biased 
Um, I'll, ke- I'll, I'll, ke- I'll keep quiet about Wales and the fact that they voted leave in the referendum and the fact that they're now in the semi-finals. I'm <laughs> at- um, but yeah, it's, for me it's been a fascinating tournament without ever necessarily reaching the heights. Out with, obviously, uh, Iceland's run to this stage and uh, Hungary's uh, performance in the, the game against Portugal. I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll say my point here. I'm sure Adam, Adam will want to chip in as well, but I think it's been boring. I think it's been boring, and, and I, I, I don't. I'm not saying it's not right, but I find it shocking when you see the likes of Wales, Iceland, Northern Ireland getting as far as they have, and I don't know if it's a case of. All the international teams have just got closer in terms of the the skill levels that they've got. But you know, when you look on paper, some of the teams, you know, with the players that they've got, you know, the, some of the big teams, whether it be Belgium, whether it be England, you know, they're the obvious ones. Um, they, they just haven't performed, and I think that's probably the, the the main thing that I'll take away from this tournament is that just because you're a big team with big players doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win. But in that respect, Colin, that's that's not exactly new either. I mean, if you think back back to the 80s and 90s, for example, and, and think back to like semi-finals in those days, you know, for example, in 1982, Poland reached the semi. They had a decent team, mind you, but they were one of the big nations. Um, USA 94, you had Sweden and Bulgaria, I think, both got to the semis. Uh, 2002 Turkey, I think, were a semi-finalist. So, for big, big, some big nations underperforming, and smaller nations or, or medium-sized nations overperforming, it's not, it's not a new thing. It's not something that's just happened for this tournament. But as I was saying before, I, I think that this, this is very much like an old, an old-style tournament where it's not been end-to-end football, goals blasting all over the place, and everybody jumping up and down. I think the way it's panned out has been very much um, like we've seen in the past. And I think maybe the, maybe the, the return to the old World Cup format of you know the, some of the third-place teams has, has helped that. I don't know. Maybe that's engendered something more cagey within some of the teams. I think, that, I think the whole third-place thing's fa- failed completely. Um, I think that <clears throat> it's led to some very defensive football, especially in those group stages where... Um, Three draws gave you something like an an eighty two percent chance of getting it out of your group, um, and I think that you had some some very unfair situations where you have um, a team like Albania who had to wait four days until they found out that they actually weren't still in the competition after they played their last game, where you have teams playing three or four days later who know exactly what they need to do in their game to qualify. Um, coupled with that, that then that's led to some very strange sort of um, I don't know roots. Once you come out of the out of the the um, competition, how how Italy found themselves topping their group in a situation where to get to the final, they'd have had to have beaten um, Spain, Germany, and France is bizarre to me. I, I, th- I think there's I think this is going to sound 
perhaps a little ridiculous, and I apologise for slightly politicising things here. I don't think the current political atmosphere in Europe has necessarily helped this tournament either. I think everybody kind of came into this tournament with one eye on things that are happening elsewhere in the world, and obviously things that have happened throughout it. You know, I, you know, the United Kingdom vote and leave. Uh, you know, the tragedy that happened in Paris earlier on in the year. It feels the atmosphere, although certain teams have, have helped build that up, it does feel like there was a kind of pall hanging over the tournament even before it started um, I, that that might just be me completely and, reaching uh, there and talking nonsense but and then the Russian fans came yeah mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, you know just think, you know that was a bad start to the tournament, the organisation of it hasn't been brilliant from that point of view you're right, the Russian fans as well as the English fans and, you know, some of the other fans, Croatia, for instance, with the flares and so on, haven't done their teams any favours, I don't think. Um, yeah, it's just, there was a feeling for me coming into this tournament that it wasn't going to be a great one, partly because of those kind of things, partly because I looked at the teams in it and didn't see any uh, one outstanding team. Um, and it's all kind of built up to Again, what what I would consider an intriguing tournament, if nothing else, but but definitely wouldn't rank it among the best. A World Cup in Russia in 2018 is going to be great fun, though, guys, right? Well, yeah, all of, a, all of a sudden, the 2022 World Cup in Qatar isn't looking so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Just dying from heat exhaustion. <laughs> yeah, exhaustion and, you know, human rights issues is fine, don't worry about it. Well, I mean, we're getting to the close now, but I mean, it, it'd be remiss of us not to to mention England. I know that in our previous podcast, um, Ross and Chris sort of uh, opened up the autopsy on on England and and what happened there. But um, obviously, with you guys here, I just want to get your thoughts and flavours on on what you think happened there, um, and maybe the best way forward. I mean. Andy, just to you, perhaps, you know, I, I think, you know, for the, the next qualification, you know, England and Scotland are in the same group. Yeah. Um, you know, we've seen what Wales can do. Um, you know, are Scotland a million miles away from Wales? Perhaps not. You know, do, yeah, do, do, do you think there's upsets there or, or what well, first way I'd, I'd, Firstly, I'd argue that, yes, we are that far away from Wales when you've got Gordon Strachan coming out and saying ridiculous things like, we need a Gareth Bale. Uh, to to become a better team, uh, that's one. It's an obvious statement, but two at the same time, it's complete nonsense because there's at least half a dozen teams at this tournament have proven that you don't need a superstar. Um, and it just felt like Strachan looking for excuses to me to the point where I'm not entirely sure he'll actually be in charge when it comes time for the qualifiers. But um, I, I, England, I don't quite know how to feel about them. I mean. As, as any Scotsman will tell you, or most of them will anyway, our problem isn't with the English players. It's with the media. And again, coming into this tournament, it really felt like Iceland in particular got disrespected by the media. You know, the, the, there's the clip doing the rounds of Pat, Patrice Evra being interviewed and being told, oh, it'll probably be England you face, and him going, well, hold on. That's, you know, just calm down with that kind of talk. But 
In terms of England, for me, need to bring in a young manager who's not long finished the game. And I know that Eddie Howe has kind of distanced himself from it. I think if you could get him, I would take him. I don't buy this inexperienced thing. Um, I think the fact that he's young, he's vibrant, his teams play good football, perhaps relates to a few more of these players than, than other people do, um, would make him a good fit. Uh, it's Colin's man crush as well, that is. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I, and rightly so, because I do think he's a, he's an exceptional young manager. Um, and I don't necessarily, I think he's young enough where taking this job and maybe not having a, a great time at the start would necessarily end his career the way, you know, it's definitely going to end uh, Roy Hodgson's. Do you think that maybe there's a little bit of history with England managers where Eddie Howe would, wouldn't want that because you say it wouldn't end his career, but look at what happened to Steve McLaren had to leave the country to... Yeah, um... Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's definitely a stigma with the England job at the moment. You know, I listened to Alan Shearer and Rio Ferdinand after the, the ice game talk about the fact that no one would not back that job. Well, that's bullshit for a start. There are plenty, <laughs> of, people, there are plenty of people who would not back that job because they're aware of the stigma. They're was aware it two, of day, the fact that... <laughs> two days later, Gareth Southgate turned it down? Yes, it was. And... um I mean, even though it was fairly, it was fairly public that he would only be getting the job on at a temporary basis, he still turned it down, which, <laughs> which, which says something. Um, but I think England do have a good crop of young players coming through that I think would excite the right kind of manager who would want to get in there and kind of work with those players. I don't think the future is necessarily as bleak as has been suggested. I think there's a, a slight issue with the England manager position now, and it's happening more and more as time goes on. I think it's a poison chalice. And I think it's a little bit like um, being the UK entry for Eurovision. You know, you're a half-decent act, but you don't really want to take it because you you know you'll be seen as like tin pot. And I, and I think England might struggle to get the likes of Eddie Howe because he's probably thinking do you know what mate I'd be better off doing my trade in the Premier League rather than at England um, yeah. and, and I think that's a, a real shame and I just think there's going to be a lot of good people who are probably going to be on the list from the FA but they're going to go nah 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 they're, they're basically going to turn the FA down um, and I don't know what's happened to English football to to make that the case, but I mean, and by the way, you know, Roy Hodgson, just out of interest, has made twelve million pounds being manager of England. Right, he was the yep. most highest paid manager at this tournament, three million quid a year, and it's just I I don't know. Maybe that is the the the, the pinnacle of the problem. I don't know. There's, there's well, one Premier League manager definitely willing to drink from that poison chalice. Step forward, Mr. Pardew. <laughs> <laughs> and Sam Allardyce. He would love it. We wouldn't have been that shocking at the back if Allardyce was in charge, that's for sure. But, you know. Yeah, I think if we, get, for if we give it to Glenn Hoddle, we'll be able to pass the ball. We need a dream team. <laughs> Hoddle, Hoddle and Allardyce. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, is it not crazy though that England is sort of like um, contemplating, you know, revisiting the hoddle? And you know what? What next? You know, Alan Kirbishley. You know, these these guys have been out of the game for so so long, and it's like, oh right, yeah, okay, he was sacked for a good reason. Now we'll give him another chance. I mean, well, it would have been Brendan Rodgers, though, wouldn't it? Surely, but he shot his load early and went to Scotland. Yeah, you could you could argue that was a better move for him. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> point in time. Um, yeah, the, at least finished second one. in the competition there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Hoddle one's odd for me because people are, you know, talking about the fact that he's done it before for England, yeah, but his last job saw him get sacked by Wolves, was it? Um, it's, it's a bizarre situation for me. I don't, I don't fully understand why they would want Hoddle in because tactics that maybe worked for him 10 years ago won't necessarily work now, you know, you've only got to look at another uh, candidate for the job, apparently, Arsene Wenger. You know that tactics ten years ago don't work so well anymore. Okay, well, any any other thoughts, guys, on either tournament as a whole or the England post-mortem reopened? Um, I think the England post-mortem is currently being made to look a little bit silly by the fact that this supposedly hard to beat Iceland team are currently four 0 down to France at half time. Okay, then, guys. Uh, any other thoughts before we close this podcast? Uh, yeah, just the one. Um, since nobody's really talking about them in the teams that are in the semi-finals so far, I, I kind of hinted at it earlier. I wouldn't rule Portugal out simply for the fact that, for me, they've still got the best player in the world um, who might be a moody bastard most of the time, but is still capable of those moments of magic. And in a tournament that's been as tight as this, all it takes is one. And, um, you know, we also need to pay extra special attention to him. I, I wouldn't rule them out by the fact that <clears throat> between now and if they got to the final, they would have, have had the most rest of any of the other teams. And I think that, especially when you're talking about the difference between two and three games in between a semi-final and the final, that could play a big difference. Yeah. Which could equally work for Wales if they can get past Portugal. But obviously... Again, in that instance, Portugal have had an extra day's rest already. Yeah. All right. One word, guys, before we close the podcast. I want Germany. Win- uh, yeah, I want your winner <laughs> of the tournament. Adam, you're saying Germany. Andy. Uh, France. Okay, Mark. France. France. Okay. Ross, I don't know if you're still with us in between working. I'll take that as a no. Yeah, no, I'm here. Give us a Wales. Give us a Wales gonna win. Wales gonna do it. They're gonna win the whole thing. Believe. They're gonna leave Europe with the European trophy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say Germany. Obviously, I'm saying Germany as well, really, because Wales aren't gonna win. <laughs> <laughs> You've got no bottle. I thought you were going to do it there, Ross. I thought you were going to have Wales being the Brett the Hitman heart of the the, the, the Euros. <laughs> <Job. laughs> yep. I got more ball than the England players, Adam. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so that brings to a close the Euro podcast. And always remember that you can get hold of us on uh, www.manthepost.com. 
We're available on Acast, so check us out there. And also, we are on iTunes. It would be uh, remiss of me not to mention uh, your great work that you do, Mark. Uh, Football Pink. Uh, do you want to give us a plug for that? Yeah, they can follow on Twitter at the Football Pink, or go to the website at um, uh, www.footballpink.net. Great stuff, uh, Adam. Where can guys follow you? Uh, Adam, I say one hundred and one. That sounds a bit sexist, guys or girls. Um, yeah, all welcome. Yeah, all welcome. Um, and Andy, it's still non, it's still nonsense. <laughs> And Andy as well, uh, how can we find you on Twitter or social media? Yeah, I have now started up a new football account uh, called The Football Channel, at Football Channel. Uh, you can also find us on YouTube. Uh, we've got our own kind of Euro 2016 podcast running on there as well, the competition. And um, yeah. What the find- fuck? Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I had to do it. You know, it's <laughs> one one podcast a week isn't enough to contain all my thoughts on football. So uh, you can find that on YouTube at the the football channel too. We can a... cut that bit out, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> and there's, oh, a, come to mind. there's a man. At, there's a man at work with us as well. Uh, Ross, do you want to give us your details? Yeah, I come from land down under. No, um, yeah, follow me on Twitter at Ross nineteen eighty four. And by the a way, reference guys, for the kids there. And by the way, guys, if you if you do unfortunately want to follow me, you can get hold of me on uh, Cast Seven Zero Seven. And all of us at Man on the Post. Absolutely. So, with that, all that can be said is always remember to keep your Man on the Post. Okay, well, thank you very much for your time today, gentlemen. Okay, we'll bring the podcast to a close. And with that, the only thing that remains to be said is always remember to keep your man on the post. Well, hang on, Colin, you haven't done follow us on Acast, Twitter, <laughs> any of that stuff. <laughs> All right. Sometimes, sometimes a professional will stitch up an amateur rough. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, right, bear with me. Download the Acast app, follow us on there. Blah, 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 that stuff. <coughs> he makes it look so easy normally, Colin, doesn't he? Yeah, I know. It's, all, it's, it's almost all... like I said it about 200 times. <laughs> it's always nice someone chipping in. He just swans in, yeah. <laughs> all right, okay. I'm getting, I'm getting paid a bit. What you not doing? <laughs> okay, bear with me. All right. With that, we'll bring this podcast to a close. Always remember how you can get hold of us. You can get hold of us on Acast and also iTunes as well. Remember the uh, our website, which is uh, www.manonthepost.com. Hopefully there'll be a few more articles upon there soon. Um, so keep an eye on that. And without any... Um, 
keep going, you can do this. Yeah, I can do it, I can do it. <laughs> and all that remains for me to say is always remember to keep your man on the post. And then a slight edit point after Mark, where can people find you on the internet? What's your <laughs> your uh, website and magazine called? <laughs> um, they can they can follow me on Twitter at the Football Pink. The website is footballpink.net, and there's always articles on there. And if they're interested in the magazine, they can uh, look for it through there. All right, bollocks! Let's start again. Right, I'll do it for you. <laughs> right, let's start again. Okay. You're editing this, so leave all this in. Yeah. Hold on. Right, okay. And so that brings to a close the Euro podcast. And always remember that you can get hold of us on uh, www.manofthepost.com. We're available on Acast, so check us out there. And also...